and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So today, I'm covering a plant that's growing in popularity in the West, Kava Kava, and also taking a fun little sidetrack into cargo cults. So more to come on that topic. Ooh, very fun. Yeah. And I'm taking you out to sea, where we're going to talk about sailing superstitions, sea magic, and general piratey goodness. Uh, I'm also going to talk about cat which is spelled, uh, for, for those of you uh, who cannot read my notes right now, Q-A-T, pronounced like the animal. But yeah, kind of diving in, um, this week we kind of wanted to do like a repeat of what we did last year, which uh, famously was a tropical escape episode for the bad wintry weather part of February. Um, so this is uh, the sea shanty episode, so um, similar similar things going on yeah it's a vibe it's an oceany vibe when the weather outside is frightful <laughs> yes um so I do think the best way to introduce this segment is actually to share like a little bit about myself uh because you could be forgiven for thinking that a double fire sign might not be the person to talk about sailing superstitions and magic but the truth is I am obsessed with sailing uh, and I have been forever. And like, literally, like, this is how you would know I was rich, uh, because I would literally just disappear on a sailboat. So with that being said, um, I mean, I do feel like we have to point out one of your previous pet's names, Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau, yes. <laughs> um, Nick has a thing. Nick might forgive you for thinking that he's not the person, but I wouldn't forgive you because... Anyone who's known Nick for more than two seconds, I think, gets sailor vibes. And if you've ever seen his house, like, oh yeah, obvi, Nick loves the sea. I, I love, I love a boat painting. I love uh, a nautical themed kitchen towel. Like, I eat that yeah. shit up. It's so I good. Eat, I eat that shit for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And actually, <laughs> so like, uh, seafaring too is one of the only like non-mythology related things where I go like full non-fiction so and I have a lot of books about it uh and actually one of my favorite so I will just share one of my very very favorite things in history is when all of the like arrogant European explorers were trying to find the northwest passage and they would get frozen into the ice and have to like eat each other and their boots and their dogs and um you know, the Inuits, like the people who lived up there were like, uh, well, first of all, you should definitely be in like a canoe because a canoe famously cannot get frozen into the ice because you, uh, it's, it's smaller and has like a shallower draft. Um, and it can maneuver through all and it of can the maneuver. fucking ice. <laughs> and you know, like the European ships were like big, fat sailing ships uh, and They're also, like, we're you, just going to cram it through. You, you know what happens when a sail uh, gets frozen uh, and covered in sea mist? It breaks like a, like, like a plate getting shatters. dropped on the ground. It shatters. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just like so much fun, so much fun stuff. Um, and I do, because it's like beautifully written, but also like has that like military accuracy of it all. Um, and I, I do, I just, I just, I love it. I love it. I love it. But it, it has been a long time coming, and we do keep touching all around it. 
for for instance, a few weeks ago when we were doing um, air magic, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about tying the wind in the knots. So like, that's where I'm diving in, tying the wind in the knots. Uh, so this practice comes to us from Northern European sailing traditions, um, whereas Southern Europeans kind of take a page out of Odysseus's book and would, would have like a similar tradition, but they would keep um, their magical wind energy in a little leather pouch. And so you would like loosen up the pouch to let, let the wind out. Um, That's really cute. Little wind you, pouch. Little wind pouch. But in Northern Europe, uh, specifically like Scotland and uh, Norway, they would do knots, uh, which is really cool. And basically the idea is that the magician in question uh, would go somewhere windy, like say a beach or the top of a mountain, and they would uh, tie these like really intricate knots to trap the wind. And then the sailor, the navigator on the ship, um, the captain even, would... Uh, undo the knots to release the wind and so you would do one knot for a breeze two knots for a half gale and then three knots for a full-blown storm uh and this was like a very com very very common practice uh in sailing times um which is what I'm calling any time before like 1900 yeah I love it and and Nick and I like touched on it before and I think if anyone doesn't know, sailors are probably some of the most superstitious people in the world. So this is like, Nick is going to have so much to talk about, but also we're not going to cover everything. So if any of your favorite sailing stuff is left out, oh yeah, please, send us an email. Please Nick let, does not may, have I mean, maybe we'll do part two even because yeah. I was just like, I, I can't. Um, yeah, there's but so we're, much. But we're, go but we're going for it. Um, we're, we're, we're trying it out. But the, the, the knots, I like love the knots. And actually yeah. I did find online um, sort of like a ceremony to make the knot, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and yeah, it, it really feels like Boy Scout stuff too. They all, but okay, so knots though, so important to sailing because that's like how everything gets done right like yeah like famously sailors know have to know so many knots but there's also um this culture of knots having different superstitious meanings so there's like the sailor's cross or like the shamrock knot which is supposed to be good luck um and yeah they just they they love knots they they're they're obsessed with knots i love um, it too because i feel like that's such an easy way to like incorporate some of this magic and superstition into your practice in a very easy way yeah because it's like literally all you need is a rope or a string um not magic is actually really really cool yeah um and there's there's a lot and, and um celtic celtic magic has has a lot of not magic um so you know like to all of you celtic witches out there you're like Psh, i already know i already know about knots um, but I did kind of want to say before we before we dive too deep in too, I think what I'm realizing is that sailors and witches literally have so much in common. Uh, not like not just because of superstitions, but they have um, like a very specific aesthetic, uh, which which is also infamously have a very uh, specific and defined aesthetic. Um, they have really cool looking and very specific equipment. 
you know, like, like, um, oh God, I forget what that thing is, but like all the navigation equipment is so cool. Um, like, oh my God, like the thing they use to like figure out where they are with the stars. Oh, like that the look- astrolabes and things? Yeah, like astrolabes. And I, for- I think, I think that's what it is, but like the newer ones, like the modern ones literally look like something that a cartoon witch, like a cartoon wizard would like get out. I had a really cool um, star guide that I got for one of my astronomy classes that was really neat that you could actually adjust based on like the date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show you like the different constellations and the direction things were going. Like it was, it's so cool. I mean, I'm pretty sure sailors are just witches. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure sailors are witches of the sea. Which makes sense why you love sailors and sailing stuff so much. It's literally, I'm just like, I'm like foaming at the mouth uh, to date a sailor. So So any sailors, uh, you can date us. Yeah, if any sailors are listening, please hit me up. (laughs) If you own a sailboat, please hit me up. But okay, but speaking of weather though, it is... All of the wind power is famously being used up by the Netherlands. So people do not tie the wind into knots anymore, probably because all of the wind energy in the world is in the in, in the Netherlands. The Dutch, yeah. they're 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 hoarding it. They're, um, but they're air magic hoarders. We've already they're covered air those. magic hoarders. But no, so speaking of weather, I think it's no surprise to anyone that lots of sailing lore has to do with the weather because they rely yeah. heavily on it to live. Um and also to do their job. So one that I thought was particularly funny comes to us from the Inuits. Um, so, you know, because I do, I, I think it's so funny how the Inuits were just up there and the British people were like, oh, we're looking for the Northwest Passage. And they're like, um, you're literally going to get frozen into the ice. You need sled dogs and canoes. And they're like, pshaw. They're like, oh my God, obviously we know better than you, people who live up here, because we're European. Yeah, um, (laughs) but no, but it comes to us uh, from the Inuit culture in Greenland, which said that when a woman gives birth while her partner is out to sea, it summons a storm so that he has to come home and meet his baby. And I I thought, I, I liked that. Vaginas um, are powerful. Vaginas are powerful. Birth is so powerful and uh, apparently summons uh, literal storms. So cool. Um, loved that. Um, and then there's also the superstition about red sunrises and sunsets. And the saying goes red sky in morning, sailor's warning, red sky at night sailor's delight and this does have uh some truth to it as in the center latitudes of this planet we call earth the prevailing winds move from east to west so if you saw a sunrise with a reddish tent that meant it was very likely that a storm was coming towards you and if you saw the, the sunset tinged red, it means the storm is moving away from you. So, you know, it's like, oh, good, good, goodbye. Yeah, good. You get over there. You go away now. You go away. And yeah, so, and then there's uh, St. Elmo's Fire. So St. Elmo's Fire is actually really cool. Um, it's like a mini Aurora, if you can like picture such a thing in your head. But it's basically just electrically charged air, which would precede a storm so um it was kind of seen it's almost like a tracer 
And the reason this happens is because the mast of the ship is like the tallest point for miles and miles and miles when you're out at sea. Um, and so it would, you know, create this kind of point, like this focal point for this like electrically charged air, um, almost like static lightning. Yeah, it it's like a lightning of, rod almost. It's, it, But it's not lightning, it's St. Noel's yeah. fire. It's a little bit different, um, but it does come before a storm. So it's like, it's, it's a bad omen because it definitely means a storm is coming. But it's also seen as like this protective force of St. Elmo, who canonically became a saint because he kept giving his sermon when lightning struck right next to him um mm, which kind I of made that. it which you know is like a natural thing you know and so they would pray and do like saint elmo's prayer when they were caught in a storm at sea because uh, thunderbolts and lightning very very very, very frightening very very frightening <laughs> um but they I would love see that the, but they would see the saint elmo's fire around the mast and and they would they would see it as like protection mm. from the saint himself well and since the 80s we know that they now pray to a uh shirtless oiled up rob Lowe playing the saxophone oh my god saint elmo's fire i literally I do, I do like that movie, but Rob Lowe could, could get it. And like, I know Rob Lowe is so problematic, but literally what a beautiful man. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, you'd hit it and quit it. No one would deny. No, you'd hit it and quit <laughs> it. Like he's problematic, but oh my God. How, okay. So this is so dumb. This is so off topic, but um, he famously sucks a dick in his sex tape. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, so. So he he would do it, you know, yeah. like that's the thing. Um, but okay, another patron saint of sailing is Saint Clement. While we were on the subject, Saint Clement the Navigator, uh, duh. But he he's got the special cross that's like so when you see an anchor that has the the little cross spokes, mm -hmm. that's Saint Clement's cross, and that's also like a protective thing for the ship to have that St. Clement's cross shape as your anchor. Oh, that's cute. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of cute. But um, this is a, 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 a witchcraft podcast. So we wanted to, we, we don't want to talk about Christian saints anymore. Like that's so, that- um, Over it, over it. But that's Christian woo-woo. We want, we want something witchy. And of course, uh, what could be witchier than titties? Not a damn thing in the world. Uh, not a damn thing in the world. And you might wonder actually why many old sailing ships have a naked lady carved under the front. And apparently it, it's the titties. They're so distracting that they can make Poseidon uh, get distracted from making storms. Yeah. And also um, there wasn't a lot of like porn you could carry with you, I imagine, no, at that time. Oh so. my God, the sexual... <laughs> The sexual tension of yeah, all those. Yeah, there's a reason that sailors are in porn all the time. Yeah, it's like the sexual tension of all those men out at yeah. sea. Uh, it, because uh, it was a superstition, since we're talking about sailing superstitions, that it was bad luck to have a woman on board a ship, which I, I love that there is um, li famous lady pirates, though. Yeah, because so. they're like, fuck you. Yeah, like, I'm going to bring my vagina and my titties on board. Yes. Um, Watch out. 
But yes, you you do need a naked lady on your ship to distract Poseidon. But not a real lady. But not a, a carved real lady. lady. A carved lady on the front of your ship. Um, but it, okay, so but the Poseidon thing though is also part of the lore of naming, giving ships women's names, because it was. Uh, so the legend goes that Poseidon would um, kind of go easy on a ship that's named after a woman out of politeness and respect. Oh. Where, um, whereas basic, and also because he loves boat titties. Who <laughs> um, doesn't love boat titties? But you get it, Poseidon. Not here to yuck that yum, my friend. But, um, you know, but he protects instead of attacks gorgeous, gorgeous girl ships. So, uh, but also speaking of Poseidon, uh, this is also where you get the whole breaking open a bottle on the on the maiden voyage, like breaking a bottle of wine on the bow. Oh my God, go through a fucking YouTube rabbit hole of watching fails of that happening. And actually, so they say Poseidon notoriously not super picky about what he drinks. Um, and so you really should not go super fancy with it um, because people have even said beer like and this is like way back in the day they would be like yeah just break a bottle of beer yeah that's fine like no need to do champagne that's kind of like fancy that's really like the royal navy made that a thing like the royal navy in england made that a thing like doing like a fancy bottle of champagne instead of just any old bottle of beer instead of but also um if you fail at it though your ship is doomed yeah there are a lot of very funny videos of it failing though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and those ships are doomed. Um, yeah. Have you have you heard of the Titanic? I'm sorry, no. Who's she? Um, Just kidding. But no, um, that's what happened. Like it wasn't the iceberg. It was because they didn't break the bottle correctly on the first try. Obvi. Um. But yeah, it's it, it. But this is a form of libation. Poseidon loves alcohol, so it's it's a bribe it's a bribe to poseidon um please do not sink my ship thank you so much okay thanks um but okay so but speaking of like witchiness and um sailing superstitions they also they have this superstition that it's bad luck to have a clergyman on board and i find that it's bad luck to have them around anywhere honestly and this comes from the story of jonah and the whale from the bible Um, So Jonah, in this case, is seen as like the clergyman who made this, you know, shipwreck happen. And so Jonah was the bad luck. Um, And then then he got eaten by a whale. So if you don't want to get eaten by a whale, you should not have a clergyman on board. I mean, I Um, just think in general, in life, just don't have them around. You know, you never know when a whale will appear. You never know when a whale will appear hungry for a clergyman <laughs> do yourself a favor <laughs> but no the, uh, and so anytime um you would have a clergyman on board like a priest etc they would call they would make jokes about them being a jonah and i i am bringing that up too because that's uh, my segue to talking about davy jones davy jones um etymologically 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 speaking uh, comes to us potentially from like demon jonah or something like that Ooh, like that's hot 
Uh, but Davy <laughs> jo- but Davy Jones um, is sort of like the sea devil, and that's where you go if you're a bad sailor. And you, well, uh, okay, so like you go to Davy Jones' locker if you die and drown at sea, only if you're bad. Okay, so it's like you just go to regular hell if you die on land. Yeah, but, they, but sailors have their own special hell. Which actually, that that's a thing in Viking culture. I mean, um, I mean, famously Norse culture has like a different afterlife based on um, how you die. Yeah. So they had their own kind of like Davy Jones locker situation as well. But yeah, if you, 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 you have to be bad and die at sea to go to Davy Jones locker. Um, if you're good and you die at sea, you go to Fiddler's Green, which is, um, it's like, it's sailing. It's like the opposite of Davy Jones locker. It's like a beautiful island. Obviously, it's very green. Apparently, they play fiddles there, which is like top tier sailing culture. Uh, aye, and aye, Captain. It. Sign me aye, up. Aye, aye, Captain. Uh, <laughs> but no, so Fiddler's Green is supposed to be a really nice place. It's an island. Um, it's, you know, it's go- gorgeous, gorgeous island. Okay, but but Davy Jones' locker is literally just the bottom of the ocean. Um, not an actual locker, like at school. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'd be hard to fit a lot of sailors into a school locker. But speaking of Davy Jones' locker, okay, we have to talk about ghost ships. Yay, ghost ships! Because this is actually, and there's so many real ghost ships, which I creeps me all the way out. Because it's like, right? first of all, the ocean is scary and mysterious and huge. Um, oh, yeah. And then the fact that ships come to shore and all of the people have just like disappeared and this is a real thing that happens this yeah. is not and we're all is... just supposed to move on with our lives <laughs> like, um, this I... isn't happening all around us but no it's like i think i think the most famous ghost ship is the mary celeste um which did come ashore with with the crew completely missing and the thing that's creepy about it is that you would think like well, maybe they ran out of food, but no, that wasn't the case. There was still food. Maybe they got on the lifeboats because they thought the ship was going to sink. Well, uh, obviously the ship did not sink because it made it all the way to shore and all of the lifeboats were still on. So then it's like, what would possess everyone on board to jump into the ocean? I'm like, fu- I'm like fully scared. Like, I'm, I'm like, what happened? It's like it, ghost ships are kind of like the Bermuda Triangle where I feel like all of us went through a phase as children where we were just like, why are we not figuring this out? <laughs> like, it's, this it's like is this, just, we're okay with this? Like, we're just, oh, I, and it still happens. Yeah. Like, like, that is literally, like, mind blown. Like, they have, like, ships with radar and satellite phones. It happens. They wash up on shore. And there's nobody on board. What Where is going go? What is going on in the middle of the ocean? Okay. Lots of sus stuff. Very suspicious things. Uh, so, so that's one kind of ghost ship. Okay, but then we also have to talk about the other, the other kind of ghost ship, like the Flying Dutchman. Um, and actually, I think it's funny because the Flying Dutchman uh, is is the character on SpongeBob. But uh, pretty much, uh, if you've seen any of the Flying Dutchman content on Spongebob, uh, pretty accurate, actually. Yeah. So the Flying Dutchman is a legend that comes from the um, 1600s, possibly the 1700s. The legend goes that they were cursed, perhaps by Davy Jones himself, to never be able to make it to a port 
And so they could only sail forever. And then eventually the, the, the Flying Dutchman becomes a ghost ship with a ghost crew. The legends basically would say that, um, you know, when two ships pass in the middle of the ocean, and uh, of course that th- th- that's the whole reason for flags and semaphore is so you know if it's a friendly ship or not, right? And not a pirate ship. They would, you know, a lot of times they would link up and maybe to have a little trade or a little dinner or like, yeah. you know. They're like, oh my God, new people. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And, you know, that's called like siding is when they do that. They like, you know, they side they up to each other and um, just kind of have a little chill sesh, right? And so the, the legends would go that these ships would encounter the Flying Dutchman and they would be trying to, the the crew of the Flying Dutchman would be trying to give them letters to bring to people back home. And then you, you, you would like try to deliver this letter only to find that the person that the letter is for is, uh, has been dead for like 200 years. And so, Ooh. and they're like, oh my God, it was a ghost. A ghost. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, very spooky. And um, also, the Flying Dutchman um, would only only be visible at night, so Obviously, you know you you would think ship. you would you would think it was a real ship, and then you would try to bring this letter, and then it's and then they're dead. They've been dead. I'm for- like, he hasn't lived here for two hundred years. <laughs> yeah, and somehow <laughs> and somehow the person that lives there knows this, and they're like, oh, that person. Oh yeah, them. No. Have you seen the Flying Dutchman? You know, every few years. <laughs> every few years, we get, we get one of these letters uh, from some guy Bob on the Flying Dutchman. Bob has been dead since before I was born. I don't know what to tell you. I don't I, know why yeah, we're in so- Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so the Flying Dutchman. Uh, was it real? Was it not real? It's spooky. Um, someone should have saved those letters. Because that would be proof, proof that ghosts exist. I'd like know. to do an analysis on these. Like, can I, we get these in like a science machine? Yeah, <laughs> like, I, want, I like want to put it in a science machine and then it comes out and they're like 100% ghost paper, baby. Yeah. And we're like, oh my God, here we go. We solved it. You're we welcome. We solved it. We figured Discovery out ghosts um, Great. But no, okay. So kind of going back to some, some cool magic involving sailing though, uh, I wanted to talk about sunstones. So sunstones were a thing um, that Norse sailors would use. And um, famously, they haven't really figured out like what the exact science or like what mineral it is. But basically what they have figured out, because some of them actually survive. And the idea is when it's overcast, which it often is out at sea, you would like have your little stone and like you could like go, you know, kind of go over your head and then when it caught the polarized light it would light up a little bit and that would like show you where the sun was in the sky because that was like the main way of navigating during the day and so if it's overcast and you can't see the sun you don't really necessarily know where you're going yeah it gets a little tricksy it's a little tricky. The ocean, um, there's not a lot of landmarks in, in the ocean. Um, famously. Famously. Very few landmarks. Very few landmarks. <laughs> but no, uh, but sunstones are cool and they're real. I mean, they thought they thought it was they thought it was magic, but I mean it's it's polarized light, but they were like, this is the, the fu- this is fucking witchcraft. I was and like, this is still fucking magic. Polarized light. That polarized is magic. light is fucking magic. 
But um, but so when they encountered the Anglo-Saxons who were very Christian, they were like, oh my God, the devil. <laughs> Only the devil would devil. tell you where the sun is. <laughs> oh my God, the devil <laughs> is telling you where the sun is. Uh, Hail Satan, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay, but sunstones, very cool, very real. Um, okay, I did also want to talk about, it's like not really have anything to do with superstitions but castaways i think castaways i think it's such a cool thing like it feels spiritual in a way to like have this person that's like washed up on a shore alone on like a deserted island and like sending out a message in a bottle like it's just it's 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 like almost like being a monk it's yeah it's like being a monk you know it's I, and I just, I, I've always wanted something like that to happen to me. I, like, I know that's weird, but I just think it would be really cool. And messages and bottles are really cool. But the, the cool thing is castaways, messages and bottles, real, really happen. Um, and actually, I forget, there was this, this one guy, it's like some island off of Chile, and he was there for five years. And then someone did finally come back for him. But I mean, can you, because they they had like left him there because he, wow. for some reason he just like couldn't go. So they left him there and they're like, we're going to come back for you. Can you imagine five years? You'd be like, they're not coming back, are they? Like I would kind of freak. After like, about would, five minutes, I would be like, oh my God, they're not coming back because I have so <laughs> much anxiety. <laughs> no, oh my God. Literally the anxiety of being a castaway, cr- crazy. Um, but no, so Sailors are witches, and uh, here's more proof. Ships cats. So it has been a thing since sailing has been a thing to keep a cat on a ship. Um, And this actually comes from uh, the rat catchers, right? Yeah. In England, black cats are lucky, so you would have a lot of black cats on ships, which is very, very cool and fun. And to this day, the Royal Navy uh, does have ship's cats on uh, all of the Royal Navy vessels. Um, so that's, that's like a, like a fun fact for you. But um, the, the, whole, the whole ship cat thing brings me to my next topic, bananas. This shit is bananas. And bananas are seen as bad luck on ships. And so I was like trying to figure out why. Why the fuck would a banana be bad luck on a ship? Um, you know, famously there is a brand of sunscreen called Banana Boat. That's the worst boat, honey. Yeah. That's the worst. That's the unluckiest boat. Sailors to this day have a superstition. No bananas on on the boat. So what they think, what they think this comes from. There's two, there's two uh, theories. So the first and most terrifying theory, and kind of the reason cats play into this whole thing, is that bunches of bananas oftentimes have tarantulas living in them. Ah. Um, because bananas can only grow in tropical climates where uh, uh, there's also just huge fucking spiders. As and much so, as I love spiders, tarantulas make me want to cry. No, tarantulas. Like, I like. I could never step foot in Australia because huntsman spiders are just, it's, it's a no. It's a no for me uh, forever. Forever, forever, forever. Like, maybe I would go to Sydney, but I would not go out of town. I'd keep a fly swatter at all I would times. definitely have a, a, a gun. Like, <laughs> a gun. A spider gun. <laughs> a fucking gun. Because <laughs> I, um, 
notoriously am like not a gun person, even though I'm from Texas, but a gun, uh, like fully a gun. Um, <laughs> but no. So the other thing, though, the other the other thing that they think is that it, bananas produce a lot of gas um, while they are ripening, and like a lot, a lot. Yeah, and, like they'll ruin your other fruit. And so if you were on a boat that was carrying bananas as cargo, sometimes it was so much gas that people would get poisoned by it. Um, so you would like literally have to like sleep on deck to not breathe in all of the banana gas because that's not that's not oxygen. Like it's not photosynthesis. It's like methane and shit. It's like not, or it's like methyl, methylene, something like that. You know, I'm not a chemist. Um, yeah, no, you're a biologist. I'm a biologist, but <laughs> uh, but the gas, but the gas was so toxic that you know you couldn't sleep, and then you have to sleep on deck, and so it's bad luck. But bananas are bad news. Um, bad news, bananas. Bad news, bananas. Um, so banana boat, terrible name for a sunscreen. Like people, you don't want bananas on a boat. But that's but that is one that survives to this day. Um, and then okay, but but kind of coming towards the end here. Well, so much ground to cover. Like, I know this is full of holes. So, like, just do, don't at me, people, please. Pirates. I think pirates are so cool because they could get gay married. Infamously, there was, like, a pirate's code that they found. Um, could totally get gay married. Actually, there's a famous story of, like, a, a British Caribbean pirate who did a whole, like, revenge thing against the British government because they killed his lover, uh, which is, you know... I'm I, like, where is that movie? Like, where are the movies about actual gay pirates? Because they were real. But no, they so they could get gay married. Like, um, gay marriage was recognized by pirates. I think that's so cool. Um, they had cool outfits. They literally um, could vote. Like, it was d- a democracy uh, a lot of the times, which you do not get on, like, official Navy ships at all. It's like, I'm yeah. the captain. Um, but yeah, like, but also kind of like, early adopters of being non-binary, which I think is really cool. Cause like pirates would, would definitely like have like gorgeous curly locks and like flamboyant outfits and feathers and jewelry. Very androgynous too. It's a a very, it's a very androgynous thing. And I I, I kind of love it. I do kind of love it. And it's like, I like almost had piracy ruined for me by going to a high school whose mascot was the pirate. The Granberry High School Pirates arg. But I do, I think it's interesting. uh, They were like anti-religion. Like they, I don't know, they were just like so free. And I think that's so so much cooler than we give them credit for. They really are. They really fucking are. And, um, but yeah, so I've just shared, you know, just here to share some of my favorite and most interesting sailing superstitions and also just like talk about stuff that I think is cool about sailing. Um, and that's over now. So yeah, well, I'm excited to like take this little like segue over here. Sorry, Willow's like coming for me um, to talk about cargo cults. Okay. So Cargo cults are a really interesting topic, and we're going to be focusing today, like the main cargo cult we're going to talk about is uh, all about how the Duke of Edinburgh himself, Prince Philip, became a deity to a village of people in the Southwest, the Southwest Pacific. So, I, this, had me, this had me cracking up. I know. Because, because the Duke of Edinburgh is literally like not someone 
uh, who you would want to worship. Uh, no. And, and is famously kind of spooky looking. So yeah. Matt uh, Smith was the first time anyone's ever thought he was hot. Um, so yeah. cargo cults are an interesting phenomenon though, because they're literally cults that are built around like the cargo or goods that were brought to the islands and the Pacific, especially from the US during World War II. So like you have to kind of step back in time and get into the shoes of these people that are like, indigenous to various islands in Polynesia. So one day you just have thousands of American troops literally coming in from the sky with seemingly endless supplies of like food and like all sorts of goodies that you've never seen before. And then obviously your first thing is like, okay, so these supplies are never ending. That must be magic. They're summoning these from the spirit world, of course. And then once the war ended, the tribesmen would even do things like construct piers and carve like airstrips into their fields and pray for the ships and planes to appear again um, to bring back like all of the wealth, right? So like basically these military stations are bringing all sorts of modern goods like medicine, foods, clothing, cloth, whatever. So of course some of the indigenous people want them back, right? So nowadays though, almost all of the cargo cults have disappeared, but there is one still holding strong. So the John Frum movement is based on the worship of an American god that many locals still believe will come back to the island with plenty of cargo to share as long as they pray to him. And so this is a belief held by the Tana of Vanuatu, who believe that Prince Philip is the pale-skinned son of John Frum. So the origins of their deification of this old Brit are like not super clear, but there are sort of ancient tales of the mountain spirit's son going on an adventure to distant lands, marrying a powerful woman and eventually returning. So you can kind of plug and play with Prince Philip here and being totally unaware of his status as a god, the prince visited Vanuatu in 1974 and later like sent an official photograph of himself to this group of worshipers. So you think they're like, oh, Prince Philip, this is like John from Sun, someday he'll return. And then bitch comes back to the island in the 70s. So they're just like, here he is, we were right. <laughs> and so the villagers in turn like send him a very traditional like pig killing club. And they're like, hey, can you please take a photograph of yourself holding this? And of course he obliged in front of Buckingham Palace. And so, yeah, so some of these people still to this day believe that the Duke of Embro is actually John Frum's son and is a god. Um, so yeah, so it's just an interesting, I feel like kind of detour into deity worship that we haven't talked about before and like, not to be shamey at all, like, it's, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It's really and, interesting. And I, the thing I love about islands is that, so islands are usually seen as like biological, like the evolution happens on islands, yeah, like the, yeah. the you there's know, a reason the shit in Australia is weird. Yeah, there's a reason the shit in Australia is weird. But it's like culturally, they end up doing very interesting things on islands. Um, yeah. And and just to kind of like, it, you know, like there's there's like weird like genital mutilation stuff that goes on in like parts of um, Indonesia because it's like they get, they get stuck on an island and like the culture just... I don't, I, it's just weird. There's like, it's there's... almost like incestuous, like, because you don't get that like 
sort of dilution across like different groups of people that you uh-huh. get on larger land masses where there's oh, this we're, like we're, cross-cultural we're gonna, exchange. We're going to talk about that a little bit actually when I talk about cat. Yeah. So anyway, so anyway, I just love cargo cults and the idea that somebody somewhere thinks that Prince Philip is a fucking god <laughs> is so interesting to me because man, what a piece of shit he was. I like to think they have like a shrine. Yeah, well, and now he's dead. So I guess it's like, who is next? Who's who is next? Or or maybe because he's like their god, the whole like the rest of the British royal family is like also gods. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Anyway, well, moving on today, while we're at sea and we're talking about islands, I'm gonna be talking about Kava or Kava Kava or Piper Mephisticum, and that is a plant that has either originated in New Guinea or Vanuatu, and it was spread throughout Austronesian Lapita culture and Polynesia, and kava has even reached as far as Hawaii, but it is conspicuously missing from New Zealand because it won't grow well in that climate, but I do think it's important right up top to talk about how important kava kava is culturally and religiously to Polynesian peoples. It has, you know, a huge role in their daily life as well as in ritual. We actually were, the curators wanted to do a kava kava ceremony at the museum that I work at because we had an exhibition two years ago um, called Fiji, Life and Art in the Pacific which was really, really cool. But then they found out that um, Kava will fuck you up. And they were, hilariously, the curators were like, well, but if everyone's an adult and they sign off, isn't it okay? And of course, I'm sure our legal team was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. No, (laughs) but I'm really disappointed that we didn't get to do it. But the way that Kava root is used to make a drink is really gross to me, specifically because of one of my phobias. Um, but they chew up the root so it ferments in saliva before they make it into a beverage using coconut water. Um, and anyone who knows me knows that like, I have a thing with spit. Like I can't, it like makes me gag. So it's my nightmare, but the drink has like a sedative anesthetic and a euphoriant property. Like it will straight up get you fucked up. Yeah, and so- uh- I, I I do just want to jump in here and say that there is a kava bar here in Austin that I, I, I have tried it. Yeah. And I there's definitely, I would say, um, like, yeah, it, you, it will fuck you up for sure. Like, you kind of feel like, like stoned. Yeah. Is a good, is, it's like more stoned than drunk, if that makes sense to, yeah. to, to, to the, to you and the people out there. But it does, um, infamously have this like mucilage kind of texture um, yeah it's it's um, kind of it's kind of snotty yeah it's very similar to like marshmallow root mm, yes. peas and things but that it's got that mucilage in it and you can definitely make it without fermenting in saliva which is good um yes, but the traditional yes. way involves... yeah because i did not, i didn't go to that kava bar and the barista just like you know, it was chewing up. Well, (laughs) and in some of the cultures, like in Vanuatu, for example, the only people that are allowed to, well, first of all, it's only men 
that are allowed to drink it for ceremonial purposes in Vanuatu. And the way that it's prepared is by young boys who are also virgins because they're the only ones that are allowed to touch it because it means that like their hands are guaranteed to be clean or whatever. Mm, but mm-hmm. oh, just like the spit. Anyway, yeah, nope. but so kava is in the same family though as black and green pepper. It is unique though in that the root is what is used medicinally from the kava kava plant. And as far as cultivation goes, it needs warmth and humidity, and it'll be super happy if you can give it loose soil and average temperatures between 70 and 95 degrees Fahrenheit, 21 and 35 Celsius, and at least 70% humidity, but all the way up to 100, it's going to be happy. So uh, they're really so like a tropical island like a tropical island like a tropical island and also interestingly for weird things that happen on plants like with plants on islands they don't reproduce sexually the female flowers are also incredibly rare and even if you do find them hand pollinating doesn't even seem to get them to produce fruit the entire like cultivation process is done through propagation and stem cuttings it's wild so it's a clone of a clone of a clone of a clone yeah like Cute. how island is that that's that's kind when of you, hot honestly it's it's interesting so the plants are harvested when they're like four to five years old because they do divide develop higher concentrations of kava lactones after that and we're going to cover exactly what those are in just a moment but kava plants themselves max out at around like six and a half feet tall or two meters and the roots can reach two feet deep which is 60 centimeters So when you're sourcing kava, because you're almost certainly not growing it, you're going to be purchasing what are called noble cultivars. And this distinguishes the medicinal kava from the wild kava. And noble kavas are the ones used for consumption because their chemical makeup means they're less likely to cause negative side effects if you consume, if you consume them. And some countries like Vanuatu have even passed legislation that makes it illegal to export non-noble kava cultivars which i think is really it's really smart and it's also i think this is a really good example of why when you're sourcing things it's probably good to make sure you're sourcing them from you know places of origin when possible for things like this because they have much more stringent rules about it but they also they, they know what the fuck they're doing they do they know what they're doing and i'll talk about it later but there have been some problems with manufacturers like fucking with stuff with kava that's caused problems so again it's like it's like you should listen to the inuits when you go looking for the northwest passage you should listen to the people from vanuatu from fiji from the south pacific when you're talking about kava so what are exactly though are kava lactones right the easiest way to think about it is they're basically kava kava's like active ingredients there are 18 different kava lactones but only six of them are responsible for about 90 percent of the herbal actions of the plant and certain kava lactone effects are associated with like different physiological responses in different parts of the body so for example one of the first things that happens when you drink kava is a bit of a numbing effect on your tongue. And that's caused by cavane and dihydrocavane, which act as like a local anesthetic in your mouth. That is a temporary sensation if you're drinking kava. 
but others interact with like the limbic system and more specifically with the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that regulates fear and anxiety. So kava is really cool. It has very interesting ways that like different constituents interact with your body. A lot of it is in the brain, but how do herbalists use kava, right? So again, disclaimer on disclaimer on disclaimer. I am not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat anything. Please consult your doctor before you start on any herbs. If you're getting medical advice from podcasters, like let's talk about some better choices you could be making in your life. So (laughs) the medicine of the plant actually exists in layers of the rootstock and you should remove the bark if that hasn't already been done. Sometimes you'll see it referred to as like the kava taproot, but that's actually not accurate because kava roots spread down and across. And the lateral roots actually have higher levels of cavalactones, but to call it a taproot just isn't accurate. It's not a fucking like turnip. It's a plant with, with a complex root system. So in traditional Pacific cultures, the plant is used for both physical and spiritual medicine, which I think seems to really be this plant's strong suit. So in those cultures, it's used for everything from fatigue to asthma. Like it really is kind of a one size fits all. The eclectics, like eclectic pharmacopoeia uh, has it listed as being used as a pain reliever and in and an anti-spasmodic, especially for the urinary tract. So in modern herbalism, the most common use though is for acute stress responses. And it's also been used as like an adjunct or a secondary therapy for people who have become benzodiazepine dependent, which I think is really cool. It can still be habit forming if you're someone who has a really addictive personality. So be careful with it. But I do really love that this could potentially be a way for people to get off of benzos if they've become physically and mentally dependent on them. So both historically and in modern times, kava has been lauded also as an aphrodisiac. And I think it's especially good for people whose sexual troubles are linked to anxiety because it does have that really like soothing effect on your amygdala, really helping like dampen that fight, flight, or freeze response. It's also super relaxing for the muscular and skeletal systems. You can even apply it topically to help with things like muscle soreness from working out or injury, as well as for uterine cramping, like during menstruation, or if you have endometriosis, like uh, an infused kava oil could be really helpful and help, you know, soothe that and relax those muscles. You can also use kava infused oil on your downstairs mix up. If you've got a UTI, yeast infection, or pruritus, which I love that pruritus is listed as uh, a treatment, like something to treat. It's just itchiness. So it's like, if you got an itchy butthole, kava infused oil might be the solution for you. So to take kava, you can find tinctures made using the dried root. You can find capsules. Of course, you can also make it into like a more traditional drink. And Jim McDonald has a really excellent recipe that you can find online using coconut water and kava that's really true to its roots. Oh, <laughs> uh, there is a lot of debate though over the toxicity of kava for your liver, especially when taken over the long term. And this is where earlier I was talking about some of the issues with manufacturing. Like they've found in some cases manufacturers using the leaves and the stems and root peelings in their preparations, like all together. And it's like, no, you're supposed to like peel the bark from the root and use the root. So when you're adding all of this other stuff in, it's like, of course, all of that's contributing to liver toxicity. That's not the way you're supposed to use the plant. 
So you can find excellent resources online to help you make sure that the plant you're sourcing is safe, ethically harvested. And I highly recommend that if this is something that you want to work with and you want to like get it yourself, there are some really, really great resources online. Just do look into it. This isn't something like dandelion where I'm like, anyone can go pick up dandelion greens. Like just do a little bit of the legwork, but if there are kava bars near you, you know, that's also a great option if you're interested in trying it out before delving into making it at home. So now let's talk about the magical associations of kava kava. The plant is associated with the planet Saturn and the water element. Very wet episode today. Not surprisingly, it does have strong connections to vision work, which a lot of our more intoxicating plant friends do. And I've touched on this before, but I really, really strongly believe that most plants that have those really intense, like anti-anxiety effects are going to be good at helping you with your psychic abilities because it helps us like get out of our own way. I think so much of the problem people have with connecting to their intuition is that sort of noisy mind and just also second guessing yourself. So things like this that help you kind of chill out. It's the same reason I think cannabis is great for psychic work if you enjoy using cannabis. So you can consume the beverage to help increase your psychic powers. I also think it would be amazing to do like a psychic kind of like vision quest using Kava Kava under a full moon in Pisces. So like in August time, usually August or September, how great would that be? So the plant is also associated with luck, which I think is very comforting for a plant that can help give you visions. And if you aren't consuming it, I do think ground kava would be perfect under your doormat at a layer of protection. And you know, I'm going to recommend adding it to a sleep sachet if you want to be having those psychic dreams. And finally, I just wanted to like end with a bit of a reminder on my segment today to spend some time with plants before you take them either medicinally or magically, like get to know their energy, how it commingles with your energy. Plants have been used by people for as long as there have been people, right? And some of the associations are really, really ancient and have been used for a long time and work really well, but nothing is going to trump your own intuition in your practice. So been a minute, I feel like since we've reminded you of that. So, you know, sit with the plant. Like it's a great way to figure out what it means to you. So my sources today were Wikipedia, calmwithkava.com, and that's calm with a K, Healing with Plants, the Chelsea Physic Garden, Herbal, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, and the Herbal Academy's Herbarium Monograph Collection. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Okay. So you guys, speaking of Vanuatu, we're staying in Vanuatu, by the way. We're going to talk about cat, cat with a Q. Not cat the, with a Q, so uh, cute. Not, not, uh, not the animal. Um, but yeah, so we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We're on a gorgeous tropical island. Mm. Um, who are we? Who are we worshiping? Um, it's cat. So let's let's all just like get ready to learn. <laughs> um, so cat is a creator god, but also brought us such classic hits as nighttime. Hey, Death. girl. Whoa. But like, not really death. I, we'll get into that later on. Um, women. Hey. Marriage. Right. And incest prohibition. What a god. So lo- lots on his plate. He's got a lot going on. But I think if you're an immature baby like me, you probably did like a spit take when I was said incest prohibition. 
because outside of the royal families of Europe, a nod to Prince Philip, um, most of the world has gotten along just fine without needing to be reminded not to incest. And um, actually, what you need to do is check your privilege because this kind of thing happens by accident a lot on islands because small populations lead to inbreeding and it's not on purpose it's not on purpose you guys so yeah it's like when there's five people there it's like the questions I always asked about the creation story that no one had a good mm-hmm. answer for I was like yeah. so was everyone just fucking their mom a- apparently or their, si- or their sister is that better no yeah, I mean, it's 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 all bad news. It's all bad news when you got small populations. Um, but so anyway, it totally makes sense that a cultural touchstone like a creator god would need to consistently give people a gentle reminder to date outside the village, if at all possible. Um, yeah. But what's his story? What is his story? So Cat was born when his father, a stone, uh, exploded. But it was not a one-off rocky emission, honey. No, it, at this same time, uh, there also came to be Kat's 11 brothers. And this is so psycho, but they're all named Tagaro. Oh my God, how annoying would it be when your mom calls for you? Right. And so, uh, but first of all, if you were Kat, wouldn't you feel a little left out? Or that really you were... special though. But he's really special. He's the creator. Uh, but so the, all of the Tagaro... Tagaros, all 11 of these brothers that have the same name, they would use like these modifiers. So there was a Tagaro the wise, Tagaro the foolish, um, dark, sleepy, um, <laughs> grumpy Tagaro. I love, I want to be besties with Tagaro the foolish. Like I want to get fucked up on Kava Kava with Tagaro the foolish. Oh, I bet he's, I, I, I bet he's a fun guy. I bet yeah. Tagaro the wise is such a stick in the mud. Yeah, no one wants to hang out with Tagaro the Wise. Tagaro the Foolish, that's where the party's at. That's this really is why the... we would be in a Dionysian cult. Like <laughs> literally, if I was in ancient Greece, I would be in a Dionysian death cult for sure. <laughs> um, but no, you guys. So Kat is like the leader of the group. So he's like the Snow White to their seven dwarves. And initially, the world he creates is for their benefit. Uh, and they're actually really ungrateful. There is a story about Cat where his brothers steal his canoe and go to the next island over. And um, so he has to go get it. And th- But then while they're there, they get in a fight with a giant ogre. And so not only does he... Cat has to beat the giant ogre, and then uh, he, he has to save his brothers from them and then bring them all back on the canoe. It's ridiculous. Oh God. It the is worst. Ridi- like younger siblings can Ugh. and I get an amen. All right. Amen. Oldest children everywhere. Oldest children everywhere. Raise your hand. But no, but he creates the world for them. And humanity is like a later creation. Uh, so in this way, we get the land and the plants and the sea and the sun. Obviously, a beautiful tropical island we live on. Um, but all the sameness really is kind of getting to everyone. And it's always daytime at this point. And everyone's just kind of complaining, complaining, complaining. So what does Cat do? Well, he creates nighttime and teaches his little brothers how to sleep. He's like, go the fuck to bed. It's <laughs> like, go to sleep. Go to bed. Go now. Lay down. 
now. Um, but no. So, and then, of course, everyone also gets bored of nighttime. They're like, okay, night is kind of cool, like, but now it's always nighttime. Like, you know, like, I, we just need some excitement in our lives. Yeah, and, this is um, a little same old, same old cat. Come it's on. like, it's, you know, it's like, no, you know, you just can't please people, really. It's like you invent nighttime because they're so bored of the daytime and then they're, they just want daytime back. And so he um, cuts nighttime in half with a red obsidian knife, which uh, fashion icon. Yeah. Um, okay, come through. Uh, so, so every day we get a little bit uh, of each day and night. So he cut the nighttime in half. Um, Cute. So, so we can have a little day and a little night as a treat. But so then we get to the whole creating humanity thing, which, what a mistake. And so here I do have to pause and tell you that Kat has a sidekick who is a giant talking spider named Marawa. Uh, and a new fashion icon just dropped, by the way. But the information is important later on, so please put a pen in that. So Kat wants to populate his world with people who aren't his 11 brothers who all have the same name. Um, or the, his sidekick spider, Marawa, um, and being a powerful creator god, he sets about doing it. He's like, I'm just going to do it. And he carves three men and three women out of a uh, Dracaena wood. They're I don't know cute. if I'm pronouncing that no, right. No, you are. It's Dracaena, uh, you're right. Dracaena wood. And then uh, he plays a drum to bring them to life. Um, you know, so it's like the power of music really is uh, what gives humanity its humanity. I oh think that's a, I love I, that. I think that's honestly like a beautiful part of the story. I also love the idea of like drums because it just makes me think of like the heartbeat and the breath and like all the rhythm of existence. It's like, that's so beautiful. It's, it, it really honestly is. Uh, and I think that's really cool, uh, but it's great. It works. It's like, welcome to the planet humans. It's pretty great to live on a tropical island, isn't it? Don't fuck your sister. Um, <laughs> it's not a lot of rules. Just don't fuck your it's relatives. Of, it's not a lot of rules. Don't fuck your relatives. That's how you end up with the Hills Have Eyes family. That's how um, you end up with the royal family. That's how you end up with Prince Philip. Um, and this is not that story. So, but okay, we're loving it. We're on a tropical island, but Marawa, the giant talking spider, wants in on the action so he tries to make humans in the same way and surprisingly even though this giant spider is not the creator god uh, it works then he gets all guilty and kind of ashamed about being a jealous copycat spider and so he hides his his shameful act by burying the living breathing people um, in in the ground for like a week and but then he feels bad about that because he buried people alive only to find that they are, are dead and kind of rotten. And this is how death gets introduced to the world. And so like, fuck you, Marawa, wherever you are, we were all rooting for you. Tyra scream. Iconic spider spirit icon. We were all rooting for you. Uh, and then you unleash death on the world. So like, Okay, but of course, Kat is a creator god, so we have to talk about some questionable relationship stuff. Um, it's not all like a beautiful, um, you know, music is the heart of humanity story. Like, I wish I, I wish I could just stop there. I really, I wish, I wish I could just stop there. So, content warning. 
um, non-consensual things are happening in this story. Um, but actually, I kind of like the ending for, for her, for her. Um, so basically, the legend says that one day, three beautiful sky maidens flew down to Earth to bathe. And as we all know, when sky maidens come down to Earth to bathe, they have to take their wings off. Um, we all know this, so I don't Duh. even know why. I, I don't. I don't even know why I'm telling you. Oh my god! Just wasting time telling us what we know. Um, but so Cat sees this tempting opportunity, and he's like, "I'm gonna bag myself a wife. I'm gonna do it." And he buries one set of the wings in the ground. And so this is like bad friendship, okay? Like, I mean, I don't even know if they're friends or if they're sisters, but like, they're all from Sky World. And they've all gone to bathe together. So, like, presumably, they at least, they're, they're at least acquaintances, okay? Yeah. But this, this is so rude. So, they finish their bath, and they're like, oh, no. Well, I guess you are stuck on this island forever. Goodbye. Like, we can't just go to Sky World and get you some more wings, or, like, you know, like, each grab an arm and, like, take you home with us with our two perfectly good sets of wings that we have. Just goodbye. Goodbye forever. Wow. Um, so yeah, I like I'm like pissed for her. I'm so pissed for her. But like the sky maiden left behind, her name is Vinmara, and uh, she's literally from the sky, and therefore a gorgeous, gorgeous sky lady. Uh, and Cat forces her into marriage, though, and apparently she cannot stop crying like ever, and she cries so much that the force of her tears literally washes away the dirt where her wings are buried and so she realizes she can escape and she does she's like i have to get the fuck out of here and i'm gonna go beat my friend's ass hell yeah asses because i cannot believe that they just left me here they didn't come back for me they could have helped me it's like the you know it's like um like rose speaking of uh you know the sea shanty like rose and jack on the door like there was room there, there was, was room, room. There was room on the door. Um, anywho, so they leave her, but she, you know, she cries, she cries, she cries, she washes away. Her, she sees her wing. She's like, I have to go. So of course she goes and Kat uses an arrow. And in some stories, it's tied to a magic rope. And in some stories, it's a really thick um, line of silk that he gets from Marawa, the Deathbringer. Um... And there's like a root from a giant banyan tree from in Sky World, like kind of hanging down through the cloud, right? And so he like shoots his arrow into the root and climbs up either on uh, a rope or spider silk. And um, he's gonna force his wife who he renames, he renames her. All I have to say is that Kat is not a feminist icon. He no. renames her Ro Lay. Um, and honestly, I think Venmara is a prettier name. Yeah. Like, just saying. But he's going to force her to come back to him. And so he like shoots his arrow into the sky tree and is like climbing up into the clouds. And he gets her. He gets her. He's like got her under one arm, right? And he's trying to climb down. And she's struggling, struggling, struggling because she's like, fuck you like just leave me alone i'm just trying to go home to the sky and um so she's struggling so much the rope breaks and well you know that here's the thing she can fly she's got wings she's from the sky and cat is not 
he, he's, he's not from the sky. He doesn't have wings. So he falls to his death. That's how he, and that's how he died. Um, Yay. And she, she flies away to safety. So it, it does kind of have a happy ending. And yeah, that's it. That's the whole story. And that's how he died. Um, love, 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 love. Well, today... And this is a random number generator selection. I, 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 I saw this and I was like, how? I have a message for Pisces. I literally drew Pisces um, like from the random number generator. And on today's incredibly watery note, I've drawn for you the two of water from my herb crafters tarot deck, which correlates the two of cups. So uh, it's represented by Mallow in my deck. And the twos are really great because in tarot, they represent duality, right? Which is like a huge theme in the lover's year, which we are in right now. And not all of the twos are as harmonious as this one, but like water and cups really like lend themselves to communion and like sharing and like the good side of duality. And so this card shows hummingbirds, and they are drinking nectar from Mallow Just, Flowers. That is such a gorgeous card. Isn't it? And one of the flowers has fallen into like a little fountain with Aphrodite, which I love. And so like the hummingbirds on this card, the two of water is asking you to let what you love draw you in. So there's some opportunity for like a heart-led connection and the connection doesn't necessarily have to involve someone else. You know, it's like, are you interested in starting a business, a creative project, like reigniting something you're passionate about? You know, this is, I think, a really great omen for that. Let the logical side of you, the side that's been conditioned to think that there's like a black and white way to do things and that like creative, wonderful side of you have like equal seats at the decision-making table. Um, if you're in a relationship or you're looking for one, this is also a very positive card for relationship, whether it's romantic or in like a business partnership type of way. But really this card is just saying like, there is an opportunity for connection and not just any connection, something that's going to like feed your heart. So trust that, lean into it. And like the hummingbird, enjoy the tasty nectar. That is so cute. And honestly, I'm like, it is so close to February 14th. I'm like gagging that it's basically like a romance card for Pisces. Um, yeah. I love I love that so much. And you could also romance yourself. I love you could romancing romance the self. yourself. Like, uh, I'm all about that. So yeah. You, so you, I was gonna say, and like um famously, I never have said this on the podcast but I am a sidereal Pisces. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm a sidereal Libra, which feels very weird to me, but. Honestly, I'm like, I do not identify with Pisces like pretty much at all. But when it's like something good, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a sidereal Pisces. So. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that brings us to the end. So if you want to reach out to us, um, if you are a sailor that wants to hit Nick up, uh, oh God, and Bronze Pod on Instagram, you can email us your saucy dick pics at wandsandfranzpod <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, we will flag all of those for Nick's consumption only. Oh my God, like literally cinnamon. Um, you guys like, comment, subscribe. These are free ways that you can help us out. For free. And, and um, if you are not cheap and you don't hate us, you could also join our Patreon. <laughs> Which easily enough you can find at patreon.com slash 
Wands and Fronds Pod. We're the same everywhere, guys. We're the same everywhere. Um, There's also our Facebook group, Wands and Fronds Podcast, is uh, also a thing that some people like and are commenting on. So it's here. It's here. It's here. It's It's queer. It's Um, magical. It's magical. We're having a good time. Um, Yeah. So feel free to join over there if if Facebook is your jam. So, yeah. And honestly, I do look, I want to, I, you know, I always want to throw in one of these asks um, during the episode and it's the end. It's the bitter end. And so I just want to know if anyone has any interesting boat stories. Um, Yeah. I I, like boat stories, also ghost stories, because we talked a lot about ghost ships today. Mm -hmm. Does anyone want to come stay on the Queen Mary with me when it reopens? Because oh my god, no, I I, don't, do not answer that question because I I want to do that. I'm I'm coming to do that. I'm so excited. The renovations are like underway. So that would would actually be such a fun Patreon episode. It's like if we went and did like a ghost hunt on the Queen Mary. Oh my God, that'd be so fun. Um, so we are going to be releasing two special episodes for Patreon this month because whoop, whoop. we missed January. So one is going to be an interview with a friend of the podcast and a creator. And another one is going to be the first one that Nick and I are doing solo. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited. I want to keep the topic a surprise for you guys. So It's going to be a surprise, but it's going to be good. It's a good one. It's a good one, I think. Um, so what do we say to all of our wet island bitches <laughs> to all of you wet island bitches we say blessed be bitches blessed be sea bitches <laughs> goodbye and i just rewatched one of the episodes with moaning myrtle in it and i'm like that poor woman has like a body of work that is yeah. so big, but she is moaning Myrtle to a large but, but literally, population. Also, but also she was 35 playing a 15-year-old. So and do we she re- still looks 15. Do we, so like, do we really feel bad for her? 